Welcome to the Long Funk Podcast. I rarely actually say that in these podcast recordings, but I had a number of, uh, well, I have three topics that I've written down. Let's see if I can cover all three in this particular recording. When I used to live in California, I used to have a variety of really strange experiences, which were just, as I found, a function of California and being in an area where rival gangs were basically moving backwards and forwards in the streets. And I don't know, it was just a turf war of rival gangs, which was completely removed from me and my job at Netflix and a bunch of other things. But in 2016, a bunch of people were murdered around our house, which was not ideal, but just indicative of the nature of a gang turf war and occasionally mentally ill people that come with violent weapons against the police periodically. The irony was that the police actually killed more people than semi-automatic weapons. Or sorry, fully automatic. Well, I don't know. What are they, AR-15s? Anyway, Police killed more people than AR-15s killed people in our area, which was an interesting statistic, which I like to make when people start talking about the assault weapons ban, where, anyway, that whole thing's very curious, but an assault weapon is a weapon that's predominantly made outside the US. Yeah, anyway. So, I had a bunch of really curious experiences in California, and now because I still work for the company I've worked for for now, 11 plus years and it still has a number of people that are based in california so there's been a bunch of uh, trees blown over a loss of electricity and a bunch of other things that have been going on for people that live in california's suburbs that aren't even affected by gang violence and turf wars but just seem to be a function of living in california currently and the area i live in now which i've never really talked about in a podcast is controlled by the howard hughes corporation which is in stark contrast, completely stark contrast. Every aspect of my life in Las Vegas is in stark contrast to my life in California. They bury the power lines in Las Vegas, so heavy winds and trees being blown over and whatever won't knock out power lines. Thank you very much. But it is very curious living in such a corporately controlled environment, and this was a location that my wife picked. So what are they called? I can't remember what they're called. The, the local... The local, uh, I don't know what you call them, clans or whatever, <laughs> that uh, you pay monthly money for. What are they called here? Homeowners Associations. HOAs, Homeowners Associations. That sounds like the right acronym. Good brain. Good brain indeed. So anyway, these Homeowners Associations, of which we have belonged to two, one of which is, I think, the, what, the larger one is the one that's actually has a majority ownership or people on the board from the Howard Hughes Corporation. The Howard Hughes Corporation originally bought the land and then parceled it out and did all the bits and pieces, which I think they must have done in the 1940s and 50s. I've never really looked into the history of the area, aside from the fact that when I periodically ask my wife about things, she comes up with completely new factoids, including the recent discussion associated with the fact that this area is owned by the Howard Hughes Corporation, or at least the Howard Hughes Corporation has a lasting control in the area. And mysteriously, it's difficult to get to our house, and mysteriously, there aren't people being shot around us, which just strikes me as, why couldn't California get its stuff together? Well, perhaps it needs it to be a well-oiled corporation in order to do that. It really is very curious, because the area that I live in goes completely against a variety of my philosophies in general. But when I look at my philosophies as they were in California, California didn't go with my philosophies either. But I've gone from one extreme to another extreme, at least thankfully feel safe in the area that I live in now, which is a very strange emotion not to feel safe in the area you live in, but one that I think is a function of lots of areas in, I don't know, the broader US that just people for whatever reason can't get their stuff together. My listener Connor Sites Bowen sent me a link to his prior podcast, 
with instructions on listening to it. Not even instructions on listening to it, but just saying if I wanted to give it a listen. Because of the nature of who I am, I listened to the last podcast and then of the feed. And it was called Are We Doing This? It was Connor and three of his friends recording a podcast together. It was quite interesting to listen to the last recording and then the recording that he asked me to listen to, which was about Ikea, which is an interesting topic in itself. And Connor brought the goods to that particular recording. And it was fun to listen to Connor and his friends have fun in a podcasting form because Connor has been a long-term listener of my podcasts. And it's interesting, actually, because the four people, I can identify Connor's accent, but the remaining three, I was not sure who was who was who. It didn't really matter. The podcast was sufficiently light that... uh, you know, I just felt it was something that I could listen to. It was interesting also because it was slightly outside my comfort zone. I felt a certain degree of discomfiture when I listened to it, but I think that's the nature of OCD fundamentally. If you don't do things for a period of time and then you do them again, they kind of feel funny to you versus recording podcasts. My wife sent me a link through the week associated with the Nevada Public Library's Book Award for e-publications in Nevada. Now, my stuff online through justplaincast.com is a PDF that you can download. It's not an EPUB, but they required an EPUB, or at least I haven't actually been able to enter it because entries start on April 1st, so I'll enter dutifully on the 1st or 2nd of April as the dates come around. Anyway, I made my book into an EPUB and also tried to get lulu.com to do the EPUB of it, and lulu.com Three iterations, can't change typographical errors, three pages back, you can't edit stuff. I mean, it's just a horrible interface for creating electronic publications. I also filed copyright, which is fun to do. Now it costs $65. When I first started filing copyright, it was $35 in the US, but obviously inflation, right? So it now costs $65 to register copyright on your publication, which I did dutifully yesterday. And I got the EPUB and connected it to JustPlainChaos.com. So you can go to JustPlainChaos and download the EPUB. And it doesn't have many features. It doesn't have book chapters. It doesn't have a variety of things. That was the EPUB publisher that Lulu gave me. And it's the EPUB publisher that I used. I don't even know if the book will come out through Lulu. Because quite frankly, I was so sick of the interface and so sick of the fact that I had to pay three times for the same service and couldn't changed typographical errors so got rid of the first one and then mysteriously with the second one had to pay twice it's all very curious what one has to do today to get out publications and specifically adhere to whatever is documented well the prize associated with nevada public library book of the year or ebook of the year is a thousand dollars and a certain amount of publicity i don't know if i'd win that money but just the difficulty in getting out an epub Seems to make me think that probably not a lot of people are going to be entering, but some people will be entering. And it's always good having your text read, even if it's read by, you know, people that put it down immediately. In fact, that's one of the problems associated with this whole thing, that potentially they have to read so many books they don't actually read them to the end. So we'll have to see what happens with that. But I thought it was an interesting example. A story, I've lamented that I don't tell as many stories in this podcast, a story from this podcast Well, no, not a story from this podcast. A story that belongs in this podcast, more importantly, is when I first came to Nevada in 2005, my wife and I went to get library cards. And they looked at my green card, which wasn't green at the time. I think they are green now. I'm not sure. I don't look at my green card enough to keep memory what it actually looks like. Anyway, I presented my green card and they said, this isn't official ID. We can't give you a library card. 
So then I went on the federal government website and provided a bunch of links to them explaining that I could get a library card with this and it was official ID. I mean, it's got a hologram baked into it of the US coat of arms, so or at least that one did. I still have it somewhere. I probably should look it up. Anyway, so what is clearly federal ID, they weren't going to accept. And green cards are strange things. They're not things that most people actively carry. Most of the folks that are even migrants in this country don't maintain green cards, or at least that was the case in California and I guess Nevada. So they didn't know what to do with regards to my green card back then. That's my relationship with Nevada Public Library. However, historically now, my girls have gotten good books from Nevada Public Library. My wife continues to maintain her library membership and get various discounts to museums in town and things like that. So it has its purpose. Let's see what they do with these books. I'm not holding my breath, but I did spend an inordinate amount of time late yesterday trying to get my uh, book into an EPUB, which I've been able to do, but not a great EPUB at that. The final topic I wanted to talk about was that I was supposed to be doing a podcast recording with Bruce Damer tomorrow. And unfortunately, we're not doing it. He's without electricity and internet, and I'm feeling a little bit coldy, although you probably can't tell that listening to this audio. Maybe you can. Maybe it gives that degree of intimacy. I'm not sure. In any case, one of the topics that would come up, I'm assuming, is associated with OpenAI. And specifically, part of OpenAI that I've been looking at is whether I can get GitHub Pilot or Copilot. I think it might be called Copilot which rewrites code from one language to another language. I don't think it's that good in Swift, which is the only language that I need my stuff to be rewritten in. And I've had problems with the just the demo through ChatGPT associated with the Swift that's created. I think it's a few versions ago, which is not compatible with the current version of Swift. The nature of OpenAI is rather curious. It was created, uh, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, and one other person created it in, I think, I don't know, some time ago. Anyway, they created it with a wide variety of open views. I mean, it's called OpenAI, right? They were supposed to be releasing this stuff open source, which would have been very nice. Now, as of a few years ago, they stopped being, uh, whatever it's called, a charity, a non-profit, and they moved to being a private enterprise. They're now licensing their software, probably for a lot of money to Microsoft. It's interesting what ChatGPT is, in terms of it just being a hype engine. It's perfectly created, actually, for our modern times, because I don't think anyone is sufficiently well-versed in AI currently or in contemporary media to actually have a discussion associated with what it is. So it resolves down to people posting YouTube videos where they're trying to get, I guess, subscribers and aren't really AI experts. It strikes me as an expert system that has learnt from not Wikipedia, but probably some other piece of material. I'm not sure where it's actually learnt from. It probably is maybe World Book or one of the encyclopedias like that, or who knows where it's gotten its natural language learning from, but it hasn't from Wikipedia because I did a few simple tests to see if it vomited back the uh, Wikipedia mistakes that I keep in my head periodically for when I have to interact with an artificial intelligence that might have memorized Wikipedia at some stage. Certainly didn't know what the Ape SDK was, which is a good start, but it could write an artificial life simulation, a very basic one in simple steps, mainly in C, which was preferred, or in Swift, in a curious version of Swift that wouldn't compile. But it was curious that I could ask this thing, write an artificial life simulation. It knew enough about artificial life simulations to actually write one. And I've heard from various people that it can do a variety of different things. The translation from Objective-C to Swift just doesn't happen to be one of them, and that's one of the things that I actually would like it for. So I'm staying GitLab for the foreseeable future, 
And maybe I'm debating spending more time writing code occasionally in GitHub so I can get the little boxes, but, you know, I'm 100% in Scotland, let's just say, in GitLab, and they validated my open source credentials and have made my open source project part of their posse, so to speak, their open source posse. So I don't know if I'm going to be going to co-pilot anytime soon, but I have been following this open AI phenomena because... I don't know. I've actually found a couple of articles that register some of the concerns that I've registered in this podcast. So I'm not alone in my concerns that this is a, an AI company that doesn't seem to be ethically bound. A variety of, well, not a variety of folk, one folk in particular from the Biota podcast recordings, who I think I talked to, I'm pretty sure I did a podcast recording with Jeff Kloon, is part of OpenAI. And my understanding is probably Bruce Damer would want to talk about that in some level because it's amazing that OpenAI is getting the publicity that they're getting currently with ChatGPT. And it does focus on some issues. Jeff Kloon's big thing, was it Jeff Kloon? No, it wasn't. But symmetric neural network processing, which I think is relatively smart and uh, was done by someone completely different to Jeff Kloon. But Jeff was, for the longest period of time, the guy, I think he worked with uh, Uber for a period of time too. So hopping from uh, hot location to hot location. But anyway, I'll be talking with Bruce Tamer in a couple of weeks and it will go out in the Biota Conversations feed. He will be the first person I talk to. And then I think I have three additional ones, Jeffrey Rentrella, Tim Taylor and Steve Grant of all people. So it's going to be an interesting set of podcasts when I finally get them out. Tom Barberley in Las Vegas, Nevada, signing out.